Hey everyone, I'm Bruce and you're listening to Clearly Unfiltered, a short-form podcast that offers clear, concise, unfiltered and undoubtedly flawed thoughts on how and why I'm butchering some of my own sacred cows. In each episode, I'm going to let those steaks sizzle and serve them up medium rare or blue and now again, well done or charred. Before I begin today's grilling, a content warning. In this episode, I speak about mental health, referring specifically to depression, anxiety, and obsessive compulsive disorder. I also highlight some suicide statistics. In addition, I will be sharing a clip of an insensitive evangelical pastor gaslighting those of us who can't simply control our thoughts. I also want to be clear that I am not a mental health professional. If you are struggling, I highly recommend seeking help from someone who knows what they're doing. I promised in the trailer to Clearly Unfiltered that while there might be some light moments, it will mostly be vulnerable and messy. And in the words of Ron Burgundy, this one might escalate quickly. Brene Brown asserts that vulnerability is uncertainty, risk and emotional exposure. She shares that she spent a lot of years trying to outrun or outsmart vulnerability by making things certain and definite, black and white, good and bad. Moreover, she highlights that her inability to lean into the discomfort of vulnerability limited the fullness of those important experiences that are wrought with uncertainty, love, belonging, trust, joy and creativity. Her assertion is that vulnerability is about showing up and being seen, and that it's also tough to do, especially when we're terrified about what people might see or think. I must be honest, this podcast, and this episode in particular, is all about that. I'm showing up, but I'm hella terrified. But this is me finding my voice, living my truth, and hoping that in some way it helps you to do the same. This episode is called OCD for a reason. Just over nine weeks ago, I was diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder. On the advice of my therapist, I visited a psychiatrist for the first time ever. And despite my initial surprise at this diagnosis, it very quickly started to make a lot of sense to me. In fact, for the first time ever, my life is making sense. I think about my lifelong struggle with insomnia and at times debilitating anxiety I experience and the general acceptance that my moments on earth would always be punctuated with depression. The anxiety turned panic has been so bad at times that I've frequented the closest emergency room on a number of occasions, convinced I was experiencing a heart attack. What I've also realized in this process of unpacking my diagnosis is that many people don't understand OCD. In fact, I certainly didn't. It doesn't always present in the stereotypical way. So my OCD doesn't manifest in repetitive behaviors, for example, but certain things do cause me to grow increasingly anxious. Mostly, I experience ruminations and intrusive thoughts, and often obsessively so. It's as if my brain doesn't ever switch off. And often these thoughts are disturbing. For me, the fear of death became an obsessive, intrusive thought, particularly at bedtime. And so for ages, I attributed this to severe anxiety. 
Turns out the anxiety I've lived through and the resultant depression all stem from my OCD. Long story short, understanding what I have and now getting the right treatment has been life-changing. Revolutionary, in fact. I have never felt as content as I do now. I cannot explain to you how beautiful that is. In the last seven weeks, after the meds really started kicking in, I have slept more peacefully than ever before. I've experienced life without the crushing weight of anxiety, and I feel I can expend less emotional energy on trying to be okay or to look okay. And I can redirect that into the things that really matter. Make no mistake, I'm on a journey and treatment will be for life. But you know what? I'm cool with that. And here's the big but. I'm freaking 47. It's taken me that long to get a proper diagnosis. In fact, I was 45 before I started going to regular therapy. And God knows, I probably needed it way earlier. It took anxiety interfering with my daily functioning to force me to seek help. So as you can imagine, there are a couple of sacred cows here. Maybe more than a couple, but I'm going to deal with two. I'd like to slice both of them into thick steaks to serve up a bit of a mixed grill for you today. The first sacred cow I want to tackle is the emotional stoicism that exacerbates mental health challenges for men. While I've never felt particularly stereotypically male, I do think that I've been conditioned to believe that mental health issues are not men's health issues and that we should just suck things up in a stiff upper lip kind of way. You know, just battle on, be strong, hold it together, don't show the cracks, don't fall apart. Well, that's all well and good until one recognizes that one is weak, that holding it together is impossible, that the cracks are in fact gaping and that everything is falling apart. The thing is, men mask well. And what others see on the outside is often just a ruse to cover up the turmoil. You know what? We'll trick you into thinking that we have it all sorted, even when everything's going to shit. In countries around the world, women are more likely to be diagnosed with depression and to attempt suicide. But the male suicide rate is several times higher. According to the World Health Organization, nearly 40% of countries have more than 15 suicide deaths per 100,000 men. Only 1.5% show a rate that high for women. Stereotypical and problematic notions of masculinity surely contribute to this problem. In many contexts, men are encouraged to be strong and not admit that they are struggling. And it starts from young when boys are ridiculously told that men don't cry. We condition boys to believe that expressing emotion is akin to weakness. Men are also less likely to seek help for mental health issues. And we often self-medicate through alcohol and substance abuse and other risky behaviors, which in turn exacerbate the distress we feel and deepen the depression. We simply have to model a healthier, more vulnerable masculinity to boys. We have to find ways of encouraging boys to be more in tune with their emotional lives and empower them to feel free to explore the full spectrum of masculinity. Because here's the thing, masculinity isn't a single identity. 
there are multiple ways to express what it means to be a man. We have to allow boys and men the freedom to be vulnerable without equating that with weakness, particularly when it comes to normalizing speaking about mental health. This conversation's other sacred cow, and those of you who know me would have guessed I'm going here. But the other sacred cow is the spiritualization of mental health and the unhealthy dose of gaslighting that comes as a side order to the take your thoughts captive and just pray it'll be okay brigade. There is a dangerous trend, particularly in evangelical Christian circles and especially on social media, that faith alone can move one to mental health and wholeness. Here's an example, and I want to remind you of the content warning I shared at the beginning of the episode. And to be honest, this is just one of many, and it's probably the least horrendous that I've been exposed to on Instagram lately. Your thoughts are not happening to you. Our thoughts are not just happening and we're at their mercy and, oh no, I'm just one of those people who thinks this way, or I'm one of those people who struggles with this way of thing. Honestly, we have a heck of a lot of authority over our thought life if only we'll bring our A-game to our thoughts and understand that we get to wage warfare with whatever's going on in our own minds. It's not happening to you. You have authority over it. And this year, some of us need to start rebelling against agreements that we've constantly been agreeing with in our minds. Thoughts will come and go. And sometimes, yes, of course, the enemy is trying to throw things into our minds. I can't always stop those things. But I can, as soon as I hear them, pause and say, that's not making a nest here. And dismantle that thing before it even has time to grow into a stronghold. Okay. That's a lot. And I'm sure you know that I desperately want to flame grill this steak. Because apart from being problematic and troubling, homilies and sermons like this are a prime example of how church leaders gaslight those of us with mental health struggles. And this isn't an isolated fringe opinion. It's more prevalent than you can imagine. And I'm sure if you've spent any time on social media, you would have encountered opinions like this. So, as my favorite talk show host, Bongani Bingwa, says, let's kick the tires and light the fires and unpack this nonsense. Just going to share three thoughts. Here's my experience, particularly around OCD. My thoughts are happening to me, and I don't have a heck of a lot of authority over my thought life. As an OCD sufferer, I have no control over the ruminations as they spiral into intrusive and obsessive thoughts that spark anxiety and sometimes panic attacks. That's how my brain is wired. It's who I am. And if you believe in creation, it's the way I was created. And so, in that moment, when my thoughts are taking control, I am actually at their mercy. Next, help me to understand how I bring my A-game to my thoughts. What in the actual does that even mean? Honestly, it's just like word salad for someone like me who has no thought A-game. In fact, I have no thought B-game, C-game. You get the point. Thirdly, for, for those of us who are struggling with our mental health, Thoughts often come and stay. They don't come and go. 
Hell, I would love them to just go. And if it were that easy to simply rebel against our thoughts, would we not have done it already? Just asking for a friend. This kind of pulpit rhetoric is harmful and should be challenged because most preachers I've met are not licensed and trained mental health professionals and, as a result, shouldn't be giving people bogus advice about taking thoughts captive and, additionally, giving the false hope of unanswered prayer. Because here's the deal. I've prayed a lot. I've prayed for release. But, if I have to be honest, the other things have helped more. The breathing has helped more. The mindfulness training has helped more. The meditation has helped more. And, more recently, the medication has helped more. So, that's my rant over for now. But as I wrap this up, I'd like to share some things that have been really helpful to me in my journey. And I hope they'll be helpful to you if you're struggling too. My first word of advice is find a therapist. It's liberating and helps one to find perspective. And if you're listening to this, Jana, thank you. And please, if your pastor or church counselor is not a trained mental health professional, they're not equipped to help you with any mental health struggle you might have. The second thing I'd like to share is ask your therapist if you need to be referred to a psychiatrist. And also, maybe you don't ask, but if they tell you they think you should be going to see a psychiatrist, heed their advice. You see, I've had general practitioners prescribe antidepressants, and in good faith, I believe, but they haven't really taken the time to understand my condition. So the meds I've been on before have not really helped, but the meds I'm on now, as I mentioned before, have given me a new lease on life, and I feel seen and I feel cared for. I've also found freedom in being vulnerable about my struggles with those closest to me. So shout out to my incredible partner, Yolanda, and our beautiful kids. And so this might not work for you, but I want to share that as I've grown less terrified of sharing my struggles, the more it feels normalized. And I think the more people know and understand who I am, the easier it is for them to process what I'm going through. Another thing that's been really helpful is learning how to meditate and practice mindfulness. This has been a revolutionary practice. And ironically, these new life rhythms that I'm practicing, which were touted as harmfully new age by the evangelical circles in which I was raised, have turned out to be significantly life-changing. Lastly, I'd encourage you to be gentle and kind to yourself. And I know that's easier said than done. If you battle with mental health, I'm sending you positive thoughts. I really am. I'm with you in the trenches. Let's be honest too. The last two years have been a lot. I'd like to encourage you. Find the help you need. Reach out to someone. That's it for now because I promise to keep these short. But before you go, I'd like to ask you to please follow Clearly Unfiltered on the gram at Clearly Unfiltered Pod and share your thoughts in the comments for this episode. I'd love to hear about your story and your journey. Please just remember to be kind 
unkindness will not be tolerated. Also, if you're enjoying these episodes, leave a rating on your favorite podcast platform. I'm hoping to drop episodes every two weeks, so keep an eye out for episode two sometime around April 1st. In it, I'll be speaking about my journey to LGBTQIA plus allyship against the backdrop of my conservative evangelical upbringing. <laughs> to be honest, I'm half expecting coffee dates and interventions after people listen to that one. But I am looking forward to telling the story and also sharing some resources that continue to help me and are far more eloquent than I am about highlighting the importance of queer inclusion. Until then, be cool and stay safe.